energy. We walked around for 35 minutes just in the parking lot looking for this car. The passion. UVM schedules the way they do to get as high a seed as possible in the NCAA tournament and to get as much tournament prep as they can because they're not going to get it from their league. The opinions on all your favorite teams. The organization should be taking care of Matt rather than Matt taking care of the organization. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show here on a football Friday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Full show tonight, all 90 minutes. Then we kick it off to Jazz with George Thomas. You remember the rules. Mariners playoff game is going on right now. I want no updates. I have totally detached from the world for the last hour and a half, and I will continue to be detached. I am taping this game. I've waited 20 years for this. I have, If I've ever asked you for anything, I take it all back, and I ask you for one thing now. Please do not ruin this for me. I've waited 20 years for it. I want to watch the game in its entirety. They could be up 10 nothing right now. They could be down 10 nothing right now. I have no idea. I have turned. I have. Here's what I've done. I have told my mother she can email me if there's any breaking news I need to know about. And I have discontinued all notifications from my phone with the exception of Jess in case there was something I need to know at home. That's it. I have totally detached from the world otherwise. My phone, my MLB app discontinued. All my other texts muted. Nothing. Nothing getting through. Then, no social media. TV in the studio off. I've been in my own little cocoon here since 4 o'clock, just shaking nervously until I can get home to watch. Please, nobody ruin it for me. Even the CBS News, I know they give sports scores on the CBS News. I turned the news down completely in the studio. For all I know, it wasn't even working. I turned it down. I couldn't take it. I didn't want to hear. So these are the steps I'm going to to make sure I watch the first Mariners game in 20 years. The Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is open, but I'm even nervous to open that. I'm even nervous to open that. I trust Peter and Williston. Phil and Middlesex, I trust. Steve and Faston, I trust. I don't know. Somebody out there, though, I please, please, I beg of you, don't ruin it for me. 802-585-3026. It is a Football Talk Friday. In addition to avoiding the Mariners, Football Talk Friday. We get you ready for Patriots-Lions. Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, stops by, as he always does, at 545. Six-pack of NFL questions just after 6 o'clock. End of end of season presser for the Red Sox. We wrap it up here. We hear a little bit from my talk today with Buster Olney. We're streaming on Facebook. We're streaming on YouTube. You'll see the nervousness in me about baseball if you watch there. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts of the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. They are Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. It is very hard in this day and age to be detached. Like, I, I, I feel like I'm going through withdrawal. I've been detached for 90 minutes. And I haven't had my phone and I haven't been on social media. And I haven't been checking things constantly. I feel very, very awkward. All I know is like I went to look at my phone to see something Jess sent me. So I had 
everybody else is muted. But I went to click Jess's message and I saw I had like four other messages. I don't know when they came in. I don't know what they said. I didn't read them. But here's what I'm worried about. Here's what's also going through my head. I have one buddy, diehard baseball fan. We played together in college. He's also a diehard Patriots fan. So he'll text me constantly during Pat's games. Well, he texted me at some point, and all I could see was that the message was in all capital letters. And now I'm nervous. I don't know what it was. I didn't read it. I'm not going to go back, but I have no idea. Did he text me all capital letters and say, lead off Homer, let's go? Did he say, good luck? Did he say, hey, your team gave up eight in the first inning. They suck. I have no idea. This is eating me alive trying to figure out what's like trying to maintain my distance from devices. This this message with it's in all capital letters that I know is there that I'm not going to read. It's just absolutely just flummoxing me and taking every ounce of strength I have to not go and, and look and see what's happening. Like the TV is right here and I'm not looking at it. So. All right. Injury report for the Patriots and Lions. Here's what we know at last check. DeAndre Swift, Lions running back, likely not to play. Amon Ross St. Brown, their top receiver, questionable. We thought he wasn't going to play, but he's been at practice. Mac Jones limited at practice for the Patriots, but Jordan Schultz, who covers the NFL, he's reporting that Bailey Zappi is going to get the start, not Mac. It is a loss for the Patriots, right? Mac is just a better player than Bailey Zappi. And now Bailey Zappi doesn't have the element of surprise on his side. So it's a loss for the Patriots. But I'm glad the decision is being made. I have said all along, if Mac Jones is not healthy, do not play him. I've been consistent with that from the start. I appreciate he wants to. I appreciate he's out there. I appreciate it might not be as bad as we originally thought. But if he can't help the team and if he can't protect himself, he shouldn't be out there. I'm glad the Patriots are allegedly making this decision to where Bailey Zappi is going to get to start. I saw that. I saw at practice. I saw at practice today, Mac walking around and he looked hobbled. He looked. He did not look particularly good today. I thought he looked very good on Wednesday. The last two days, I thought he looked worse. I thought he had looked worse. So, Mac reportedly not playing Bailey Zappi getting his first career start. I'll give you my projections and predictions later in the show. I actually think Bailey Zappi can hold his own against the Detroit Lions. It's the worst defense in the NFL. So if Bailey Zappi can come out and surprise anybody, you know, and, and upend anybody in this league, it would be that defense. And I will say this game plan wise. I don't think this really changes a ton. Like, whether you play with a fully healthy Bailey Zappi or a completely banged-up Mac Jones, you're going to see the Patriots be a run-first team. You're going to see a team that is predicated on the quarterback getting the ball out quick, letting the playmakers make the plays, and seeing a run-based game plan. So I don't think the game plan here changes much. If Mac played, he was going to be 55-60% tops. That's exactly what they do with him. They're not going to give an injured Mac seven-step drops to let him get crushed in the pocket. They, they would tell him, hand off, get the ball out quick. That's exactly what they're going to do with Bailey Zappi. Now, Mac is a little better, obviously, but 55% Mac, 
might not be better than Bailey Zappi. So game plan-wise, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot different here, right? Injured Mac or healthy Zappi, I think, are playing largely the same way. I do think it changes the playbook, though. While the overall philosophy, I think, doesn't change, I think this changes the playbook, right? At the end of the day, I think the Patriots are going to run the football. But there's a lot of different ways to get to running the football. And I don't think Bailey Zappi has the entire playbook down. That is what I think is different. It's less exotic what you can do with Bailey Zappi, right? The end result is the same. It's a run play. But how we get there is going to be different on Sunday than it would have been if Mac was playing. Right? It has to be. Mac has the full offense that knows all the protections. Bailey Zappi's not going to have that all down yet. So while Mac might be able to check here, check there, and bring you the reverse to Kendrick Bourne, Bailey Zappi is going to be, hey, let's just line up and hand it to Ramondre Stevenson. So end result, same. Overall process, I think, is different. The, the full playbook is not going to be at Bailey Zappi's proposal. Or at the, his disposal, I should say. What really worries me is, well, now you're in a situation what happens if Bailey Zappi gets hurt? Because at that point, you're totally you're, you're totally screwed, right? If Brian Hoyer got hurt, okay, we got Zappi. Eh. If Zappi gets hurt, Max inactive, Hoyer's out, he's on IR. The guy behind Zappi is Garrett Gilbert, who's been here for like a cup of coffee. So the other reason the Patriots have to hand off a lot and get the ball out quick is they need to keep Zappi healthy. Going to your fourth-string quarterback, is no good. It's going to look like, remember when the Broncos went to Kendall uh, Hinton or whatever in the COVID 2020 season? He's the wide receiver who played like high school quarterback or whatever. That's what it would look like if the Patriots had to go to Garrett Gilbert. So protect Zappi both from the rush, from having to make too many decisions, protect him in what you give him playbook wise, but also protect him physically. That's what we're going to see on Sunday. I got a question on the text line. Do I think the Patriots can win with Bailey Zappi? Yeah, actually I do. But if they are going to win, it's going to be on the heels of Belichick's coaching and a good offensive scheme. Remember we had Matt Verderam, the NFL director at Fansided on a couple of weeks ago. And he said, the Patriots aren't particularly good, but they have Belichick. This is going to have to be a, but they have Belichick kind of game, right? It would have to be. Like, Belichick has to be the difference maker at some point for the Patriots, and this is a game where he needs to. Last week, he almost was. They played great defense for a half on Aaron Rodgers. Bill Belichick needs to be a difference maker here. I think the Patriots can win with Zappi against this Lions team with this record, with their amount of injuries, with that defense. Yes, I think it can be done. But Bill Belichick is going to have to come up with a game plan, come up with a scheme, him and Matt Patricia in conjunction, and they're going to have to do things that get Bailey Zappi in advantageous situations and that take the Lions out of them. It certainly is possible. It certainly is possible. Last week, last week I thought was a sure loss, right, with Hoyer and then definitely with Zappi. I thought it was going to be, I thought it was a 1,000% loss for the Patriots. This week, I don't feel that way. It can be done, but Belichick's got to be pulling 
some really good strings. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We're going to do this fully in the 6 o'clock hour. I really like this segment, wants and needs, things you want to see from the Patriots, things you need to see from the Patriots. I got to give you just one before we get to Phil Perry. Like, I, I can't keep them all in for the 6 o'clock hour. So, again, we'll do wants and needs, things we want to see, things we need to see. But for me, I need to see the Patriots force Jared Goff into a mistake. Right? This, this Lions offense, like, Jared Goff has had a good year. I've never thought Jared Goff is as bad as everybody else does right like I've seen Jared Goff win a division get to a Super Bowl win road playoff games I've seen Jared Goff do good things he's third in the he's coming into this week he's third in the NFL in passing yards leads the league in passing touchdowns he's having a very productive year you have to find a way to disrupt him your best offense might also be a good defense here Bailey Zappi's not scoring 30 points right like the Lions played a 48-45 game last week with Seattle the Patriots aren't playing that and winning it they need to keep the, keep it low scoring again. And Bailey Zappi's got a ceiling, right? Like, can he get you 20 points? Can he get you 21 points? You're going to have to force Jared Goff into a mistake to make up some other points here. Okay? Can you get to him? Can you make him shuffle his feet? If you, if you can't get to him, he'll pick you apart. He's proven that. The Patriots need to do things to disrupt him. Okay? Can they create pressure on him, rush him, bait him into a bad throw? Can they force him into a pick? Last week he threw a pick six, and that's the difference in that game against Seattle. Can they get pressure? Can they sack him? Can they force him into second and 18 instead of second and four? All of these things will help Bailey Zappi, right? Bailey Zappi scores 17 points on his own. Can he get seven as a result from the defense? Can he get 10 as a result from the defense? These are things that I need to see. We'll run through a full list of things in the 6 o'clock hour. But it's just about time, right? 5.45 on Friday. It's just about time to get to our guy, Phil Perry, our Pats insider at NBC Sports Boston. It's another football Friday and another look at your New England Patriots. And I will put it at the feet of Mac Jones. I mean, you get you get the credit when everything's going well. First third down of the game, first drive of the game, you throw it right to the other team. Seven points going the other way. With all the info from Patriots Place, it's Pat's insider, Phil Perry. No, it's not that I think less of him. I think the fact that I am high on him leads to the honest criticism of him. I know he's better than the way he's played. On the Brady Farkas Show on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. And a reminder that our Patriots coverage begins on Sunday. We'll have the kickoff at 1. We'll have the pregame show beginning at 10 a.m. right here on your home for Patriots football, WDEV. And joining us now is our guy from NBC Sports Boston. They've got their pregame show on television kicking off at noon on Sunday. It's one of the best. It's Phil Perry from NBC Sports Boston. Phil, week five. Here we are. How are you? Doing great, Brady. Enjoying the beautiful weather we're having in New England and uh, just hoping for a similar day on Sunday. Yeah, hoping for a similar day. The Pat Patriot logo is out at midfield. Are you as excited for the throwback Reds as everybody else is, including me? You know what? I am, and I'm not afraid to admit it. The helmets that we've seen in practice this week are just so crisp, and we actually got a glimpse of the red jersey combo with the new helmet when Tyquan Thornton was walking to practice on Wednesday, and he was wearing a non-contact red jersey. 
my goodness, <laughs> these things look sharp. I think people are going to be drooling over themselves Sunday. Well, I'm going to be pumped for it as well. I got to tell you right now, though, Phil, I'm a little nervous and I'm a little bit distracted. Reason being, I have waited 20 years, 21, 21 years, 20 seasons for Seattle Mariners playoff baseball. It is on currently Mariners Blue Jays. I have shut off my phone. I have turned off social media. No updates, no texts. I am taping the game like it's 1995. People don't tape live sports, but I'm taping this game. Got to say, it's very odd being completely cut off from the world. Not having Twitter up during the show is killing me. I'm just praying for no breaking news. Could you disconnect like this? It's very. It makes me very, very anxious. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe how, how uneasy who can actually pull this off. So if you can get through your day without having any type of spoiler, I, I, I am really envious of you in some ways because I think that just shows a sort of technological skill in terms of your ability to unplug that I just don't have. So I wish you luck, my friend. I usually don't have it. It's killing me. This is very, very special, uh, very, very special occasion here. Uh, let's get back to the Patriots as I try to rein in my focus again. The big story remains the Patriots at quarterback. And regardless of who plays, let's just go here. Do you think the Patriots unlocked something last week in that no matter who is under center, is this team a run first team now? I think they should be. I do look at this situation that they have at quarterback with Mac Jones missing time, whether it's in practice, missing the game last week, that they should really use this obstacle, which is what it is. It's an obstacle as a way to discover more about themselves. It's a very stoic sort of approach. It's a stoic philosophy, Brady, and that's something that we know Bill Belichick admires. You know, that's something that, that Marcus Aurelius has, has said before. The, the author, Ryan Holiday, is very popular, stoic author now, who actually has met with Bill Belichick and met with the Patriots. His book was read by the Patriots back in 2014 because of a connection with Mike Lombardi. His first book, when it came to stoic philosophy, was called The Obstacle is the Way. And I think that's how they should be approaching this time right now, where they're looking at their offense and saying, this is an opportunity for us, yes, it's a hardship, but it's an opportunity for us to find out more about ourselves and what we can do well. I think they need to lean into this power running identity that they have shown that they they can embrace these last few weeks and just continue to roll with it. You know, the analytics people all tell us the run game isn't that valuable. Running backs aren't that important. Should we be disappointed if this is the way the Patriots choose to play from here on out? We want to see them explosive. We want to see them down the field. Should we be disappointed if they're forced to play this way? Yes and no. And here's why I sit on the fence. Because I really do. I, I give a nod to the Patriots coaching staff for wanting to be more explosive coming into the season, right? We talked a lot about 50-50 balls and throwing the ball down the field. Mac Jones's air yards per attempt are near the top of the league now. We're not expecting, you know, we're not expecting that from a Patriots offense. We're not used to seeing that from a Patriots offense unless it's 2007 with Tom Brady. So I, I give the Patriots staff some kudos in, in trying to do that because the most explosive offenses in the league are generally the best offenses in the league. But here's why I say I think it's okay for them to embrace this running identity because the more you do that, I believe as long as you continue to be successful with the run, the more opportunities you will have at easy explosive plays. The explosive plays they've been throwing through three weeks with Mac Jones, Brady, are 
incredibly high degree of difficulty types of throws. It's down the down the sideline in the bucket to Devontae Parker between two defenders. That's not scheming up an open guy. That's not something that I think you can really build your offense around. But what you can build your offense around is a consistent running game with a play-action game built off of that where defenders are biting on those run fakes because they have to in order to stop the run. And then you're opening up wide-open windows for Mac Jones down the line because of the way you're running the football. We saw it a little bit in week four with Bailey Zappi, two long play-action completions, one to Nelson Aguilar. One to Devontae Parker for a touchdown. That's all based off the running game. So I think you can be a run-first team and yet still be explosive. Phil Perry, Pat's Insider, NBC Sports Boston. The uh, NBC Sports Boston pregame show is going to be Sunday at noon, kickoff one. Our pregame coverage begins at 10 here on WDEV. One of the biggest pleasant surprises for me last week was Marcus Jones. I mean, we talked two weeks in a row about Miles Bryant scuffling in the punt return game. You know, we had the, uh, the, the misplay against Pittsburgh where he got lucky. He fumbled a ball in week three and ended up getting it back. Marcus Jones took over the return duties last week, and he was great. He was dynamic, man. And the fact that he really hadn't been used in the return game previous to that day, they did start him on kick return in week three. But for him to take on both duties and perform as well as he did, almost 28 yards per kick return, almost 25 yards per punt return, including a great return that set them up in overtime, where if they have anybody other than a third-strength quarterback in there, they probably have an opportunity to pick up the, what, 14, 15 yards you need to get Nick Folk in the range to win that game. He is a game-changer. I already feel comfortable saying that, Brady. I actually was pretty comfortable saying that before the draft. He was one of my favorite players in this year's draft because of his dynamic athleticism. He's very undersized. We know that. But this is a guy who played not only in the kicking game, not only defensively, but on offense as well when he was at the University of Houston. I talked to his coaches before the Patriots season started this year. And Dana Holgerson, who's the coach at Houston now, he's from Texas Tech. He worked with Danny Amendola. He worked with Wes Welker. And he used to look at Marcus Jones and say, that guy has all the physical ability that those guys had to be able to succeed at receiver. And he did succeed at receiver in the brief since they used him there in college. I wonder if Bill Belichick someday, maybe not this year, not as a rookie, but maybe someday we'll use him on that side of the ball because he's that dynamic. They have to keep running him out there for those returns because especially, Brady, with what they're dealing with, uncertainty at the quarterback position, you need game-changing plays from your defense and from your kicking game Marcus Jones can provide that offensively. You know, let's transition to the Lions, whose offense is outstanding, even despite some injuries. The question is, is Jared Goff good, or can the Patriots just sit back and kind of wait for him to make the big mistake he'd be prone to in the past? I don't think he's good, but I will say I think he's average. You know, if I were to tier quarterbacks, I'd go with elite, very good, good, average and then below average i think he's he's not quite in that below average category where you'd call him uh you know basically like a a replacement level player i don't think he's a backup i think he's an nfl starter but i think he's average and i do think you you might be able to coax him into a mistake or two at some point in this game and if you can't uh, you might have issues you you might because you know getting back to what i was saying earlier about the patriots offense that's kind of what they are. They're a very explosive team right now, but it's all built off the running game. And then they have play-action passes that mirror those concepts that force defenses to bite and allow Jared Goff the nice, easy, open-throwing windows that he needs to succeed. We saw it in L.A. when he was there with 
John McVay. We're seeing it now. He's still not a good quarterback, but he is somebody that can hurt you just because of everything else they do offensively and what that forces you to do defensively. Patriots limited at quarterback this week. Can they exploit this bad Lions defense? Like, do they have the pieces, even limited at quarterback, do they have the pieces to exploit what has been a very bad Detroit defense? They do in the run game. In the passing game, I'm not so sure because I think Bailey Zappi is just very limited. I give him all the credit in the world for being poised, for having the composure to be able to keep the Patriots in it the way he did. He didn't turn it over. Good for him. But he is so limited, both in terms of his legs and his arm, that I think you're going to have to really roll on the Lions defense with your run game. And they have the, the bodies to do that. I think they've found something with their power running game the last few weeks here getting Cole Strange on the move as a pulling guard, getting Michael Wenu on the move as a pulling guard. And Trent Brown, Brady, for stretches in that game, was as dominant as I've ever seen Trent Brown in the running game. I mean, there was a stretch of that game during those two scoring drives that they had with Bailey Zappi behind center, where the play essentially that they went to over and over and over again was wide zone to Trent Brown's side, to the weak side of the offensive formation, so no tight end next to him. That meant no overload defensively facing Trent Brown, and all they did to me was essentially throw up two middle fingers to the Packers' sideline and say, Trent Brown is better than Preston Smith, who's a pretty damn good edge defender in this league, and he dominated Preston Smith for two drives. It really is what spurred that entire offensive, I guess you could call it mini-explosion that led to two touchdowns, and so to me, you rely on that matchup again, especially if he's against Aiden Hutchinson, who I think is going to be a great player in this league, but is not a great player yet, and I think is a little light to be trying to stack an edge against Trent Brown. If you get that matchup, I think that's one Patriots fans are really going to enjoy. Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, pregame live on NBC Sports Boston. It is Sunday at noon. Again, our coverage on the radio begins at 10 a.m. Phil, we appreciate you. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the red uniforms, and we'll talk in seven days. All right, Brady. Go M's, man. Hopefully you survive this next stretch of game. Yeah, thank you for no updates as well, Phil. I, I appreciate you playing along with everybody else who's under these under these harsh rules. I got your back. I got your back, buddy. Talk to you soon. <laughs> uh, talk to you soon for sure. That's Phil Perry from NBC Sports Boston, one of the best. One of our listeners said in the text line, love listening to Phil. Well, that's good because we love having Phil. Phil certainly, uh, for my money, among the best Patriots insiders. I, I checked the text line while Phil was talking. All of you playing ball with me so far. Again, not giving Mariners updates. Thank you. Lou says, how about a Bruins preview? Lou, here's your Bruins preview. The season starts next week. Everyone's hurt. Not everyone, but a lot of people are hurt. And Pasternak doesn't have a new deal yet. Like, there, like there, there's what, and they got a new coach, Jim Montgomery. Like, there's what we need to know about the Bruins right now. You want to talk line combinations and all that? We'll do that on opening day. Okay, we'll do it on opening day. Um, Phil's the best. Uh, a lot of good stuff there. Says Bailey Zappi's limited. Well, yeah, and we know that. That's not rocket science. But you are going to have to, as we said, right? Like I said in need that the Patriots are going to have to force Jared Goff into something negative, right? They're going to have to get pressure on him, get him off his spot, force him to rush, force him to make a bad decision. Phil's agreeing with that, right? He says with Bailey Zappi, you need to do something extracurricular. Defense make a play. Marcus Jones in the special teams uh, category. I love that, by the way. He's already ready to call Marcus Jones a game breaker. 
I know I'm getting way ahead of myself, but you think about the value in great special teams return men, right? Eric Metcalf, Dante Hall, Devin Hester, Deion Sanders. I'm not ready to put, you know, Marcus Jones in their category yet. But you know how a dynamic return man can change a game? I would love it if the Patriots have that. Like, Bailey Zappi is going to need it, right? Again, he's going to need something extra to help get him over the hump in any game that he plays, at least at the beginning of his career. Marcus Jones just might be that guy. I I love watching him. Last week, Marcus Jones was great. Kick return, punt return, he is uh, awesome. Jalen Mills, by the way, speaking of Jones, Jalen Mills not at practice again today. The uh, Pat's top corner hamstring injury. Looks like we're going to see a lot more of Jack Jones going into uh, Sunday, who had, remember, the pick six off Aaron Rodgers and also recovered the fumble, so forced the fumble and recovered it. Uh, I think it was off uh, Lazard in the uh, first quarter on Sunday. So Patriots and Lions coming up Sunday at 1. Both teams need a win. Both teams need a win, right? They're both 1-3. and Patriots are trying to stay in a very tough and crowded AFC East. Lions are trying to... You know, trying to reward Dan Campbell for his efforts. I like Dan Campbell, the head coach there in Detroit. They got to get a win, though. Speaking of need, both teams need a win. We'll do it. Needs and wants. What do you need? What do you want out of the Patriots on Sunday? We'll do that on the other side of the CBS News update. I'm muting it. No baseball scores until I get home. Muting the CBS News then wants versus needs. That's next on DV, DEV. So reach out now at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. This is just absolute. This is just gutting my stomach inside. The CBS News guy, I'm sure, just gave the score of the game. Like, I'm positive that he gave the score of the game, right? Because at the 5 o'clock hour, or no, at the start of the 4 o'clock hour, he gave the score. So I'm like, okay, they give the scores on these things. I sat here in complete silence for five minutes. The the news played for five minutes. I sat in complete silence. I muted it in the studio. I didn't walk outside in the hallway where the radio was playing. I shut the door in here. I am sweating my life away in this studio because I had the door closed. It's not supposed to be closed. Just so I don't hear the residual noise outside. This is this is this is absurd. The, the, the lengths I am going to to watch this game on my own. They could be down eight nothing right now, for all I know, and I could go home and not look at my phone for six hours and watch the game and ruin my entire Friday night. They could be down eight nothing right now. They could be down twelve nothing. They could be down two one. I have no. They could be winning. I have no idea. The lengths I go to for this baseball team, I've been invested in it for all for, the, for well for 30 years of my life, but for the last 20 of no playoffs, this is the length we're going to so I can make sure that I see it. Fun fact, though, Mariners haven't been to the playoffs since 2001. I went to one of their last playoff games, 2000 ALCS, Mariners-Yankees at Yankee Stadium. I was there. Your boy was in the stands. It was Freddie Garcia pitching for the Mariners against Denny Nagel. That's right. Denny Nagel, he of the former Pirates and Braves fame, started game one of the ALCS for the New York Yankees. Mariners won the game two to one or two to nothing. A-Rod hit a home run for the Mariners. Ricky Henderson brought in a run for the Mariners. And uh, old Yankee Stadium was just electric. Like, new Yankee Stadium cannot compare to old Yankee Stadium. 
at old Yankee Stadium, you felt the ghosts. I remember, I will remember forever the nerves in my stomach when the Mariners were playing, like ninth inning. I think like Gerald Williams is up, and you're just you're fearing a walk off homer. M's ended up winning it, but my goodness, it was stressful. Like, so I get to watch the playoff game today, but I was at one of the last playoff games. 802-585-3026. Wants versus needs. Patriots, Lions. Sunday at one. Both teams one and three. Both teams need a victory. We'll get to our six-pack of NFL questions here in a couple of minutes. But I already said a need of mine was to see the Patriots cause confusion for Jared Goff and force him into something bad, right? Goff's been great. He is shepherding the best offense in football. The Lions in four games have scored 140 points. They are averaging 35 points a game. That's not by accident. They've got a good scheme. They've got good players. If the Patriots can force Jared Goff into the big mistake he's been prone to in the past, that will obviously alleviate his offense, but give his give give the Patriots offense a chance under Bailey Zappi to capitalize. So that is a need for me. A want for me, I want to see the Patriots control the ball. The best way to win this game with Bailey Zappi is to run the ball, chew up time of possession, and keep the Lions offense on the sideline. Patriots can't win a shootout. I do not want to play ping pong with the football and giving it back and forth to the Lions. I I like the idea of the Patriots being explosive. I like the idea of them being aggressive offensively. Not today, or not Sunday. I don't want them to be scared and nervous, but they need to come out like and understand, have some self-awareness. This strategy is the best way to win on Sunday. Come out, establish the run, move the ball down the field, gain yards on this porous defense, keep the Lions' offense away from the ball. That's the way you win. With your third-string quarterback, that's how you win. Keep the other guys on the sideline, and their bad defense, you just churn out yard after yard after yard, first down after first down after first down. On that note, a need for the Patriots, want, control the ball and run it. A need, capitalize in the red zone. That's a hum- that is a must in this game. Because if you are going to be a run first team, if you are going to churn up clock, if you are going to limit possessions, you need to score touchdowns when you get down in the red area. This team cannot go 12 plays, 72 yards, 7 minutes a clock, and end up with a fumble or a field goal. Cannot happen. Like, we've seen that with the Patriots in the past, right? We saw it last year. Remember week one last year, Patriots-Dolphins? Pats have like an eight-minute drive going down the field to win the game, and Damian Harris fumbles, and they lose to Miami. Can't have it, right? The, The smart strategy is to churn up clock and to run the football and keep them on the sideline. But if you're going to do that, you need to get seven. Because if you get three, there's a good bet that they're going to get seven and you're going to lose. You've got to capitalize in the red zone. It's been a bugaboo for this offense all year, right? Defensively in the red zone and offensively, they've struggled at times too. They've got to capitalize in the red zone. Another want for me, I want to see, like, I want to see Hunter Henry get off the milk carton. Because he has been MIA. And I know I'm calling for a 
run-oriented game plan. So the idea of Hunter Henry getting nine catches on Sunday, probably not realistic. But down in the red zone, where he was so good last year, he needs. To, I want him to be a factor. Hunter Henry's making a gazillion dollars. You know how many catches he has this season? In five games, Hunter Henry has four catches. I'm sorry, reverse. In four games, he has five catches. He's averaging one point, you know, two catches a game. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. He had nine touchdowns last year, most of them in the red zone. He needs to be a factor. He needs to be a threat. Right? If they're going to run the ball down the field, run it down the field, and they're going to get to the 14, boom, play action. There's Hunter Henry, the tight end corner, drop it in a bucket, and let's score seven. Right? I get it. Run-oriented game plan. He's not catching nine passes. He's not getting 184 yards receiving. But can he get me three catches, 25 yards, and a score? Is that too much to ask? You're paying him a gazillion dollars. Jonu Smith is banged up. I don't know if he's going to play, but he's banged up. So likely Henry is the flavor of the week for the tight end spot. I want to see him get involved because the offense is more versatile when he is. Let's go to a hmm, let's go to another need. Let's get my last need out of here. I've already talked about some of the other things, just varying. You know, I want to see more Marcus Jones, as Phil said, so I don't need to go into that again. But I just want to see the Patriots play. You know, I need to see the Patriots play cleaner football. Simply put, cleaner football, right? Not take as many penalties. Isaiah win, like, what's up with him, right? holding penalties. Ted Johnson of NBC Sports Boston, former Pat, said this last week. Uh, you know, I'm a body language guy, and his body language, that being Isaiah Wynn, all training camp preseason in the first few, three games, I just, I didn't look like uh, there was a lot of buy-in from Isaiah Wynn, and it might be a better outcome if he's not out there, because we don't get, uh, we don't get our, our, our quarterback certain. So, the only thing I could really think of, I just, I feel like he has the ability. I just feel like he's just not fully invested. Like, he's got to be invested, no penalties, no holding calls, no sacks allowed. Like, I believe it was him who allowed the sack that got Brian Hoyer crushed and knocked out of the game. And with your third-string quarterback, you cannot afford to have drives halted because of sacks or because of holding penalties. The last thing that this offense needs, that Bailey Zappi needs, is, hey, we're going to run the ball on first and ten. We're going to get four. And now instead, we're going to have a 10-yard penalty. Now, instead of second and six, it's first and 16. We don't need that. Okay? That's not what this offense needs. Play cleaner football. Obviously, we don't want Bailey Zappi to turn it over. Obviously, you don't want to muff punts. Obviously, you don't want to miss assignments. You also can't take penalties. Can't take as many penalties as you've taken in key and critical spots. Uh, unnamed texter says, Brady, you remind me of my late mother. World Series 86, Red Sox-Mets. Mom barricaded in her room. Red Sox needed one out to reverse the curse. Dad said, come out now. They're going to win. The rest is history. I, I, I appreciate the sentiment of being compared to your late mother. I am sure that is a great honor, and it means a lot to me. I don't want the same sports result right there. I would like the Mariners to win. I hope the Mariners are winning now. I, I 45 minutes I've got until I get to go home. i got another 30-minute drive. And then I'm going to, you know, I was going to have a Labatt Blue because that's, you know, I was going to have a beer during the game. And I really like Labatt Blue. And then I remembered, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mariners are playing the Blue Jays. Can't have a Canadian beer. So 
No Labatt Blue for me during the game. A nice American beer, Coors Light or Miller Light. One of those two is what I'll be having when I post up during the game. Or a Vermont craft beer. I've got a few of those from First Republic Brewing as well. Probably start with that. But, again, I was going to have a Labatt Blue. Labatt Blues are great. Can have them starting Monday. They can be for next weekend. But cannot have them during this game. So, uh, I can start watching about 745 by the time I get out of here and get home. Uh, All right. Let's do our six-pack of NFL questions. With that, let's get the music going, people. All right, question one, big voice guy, what do we got? The best game of the NFL weekend is... Best game NFL weekend. This one's going to be Sunday night football. I'm very excited for this one. Bengals and Ravens. Both teams are 2-2. Two and two. These are very, very good 2-2 two and two teams. Bengals got to the Super Bowl a year ago. Ravens might have the MVP in Lamar Jackson. Two very good teams. I'm looking forward to seeing them go head-to-head. This is a divisional matchup, both teams in the AFC North. We got some really interesting storylines here. For one, why can't the Ravens close anybody out? I mean, the Ravens are 2-2. Two and two. They should be 4-0. and oh. They blew, what, a 21-point lead to the Dolphins in Week 2, and they blew a 17-point lead to the Bills last week in Week 4. The Ravens could very easily and should very easily be 4-0. and oh. Why can they not close? Will they get a chance to close out the Bengals again on Sunday? I don't know. Bengals, as I recall, rolled the, the Ravens twice last year on their way to the Super Bowl. So you got to see... If, if you're the Ravens defensively, what you can do to, to hunker down and hold some leads. And now the Bengals are starting to get going too, right? Bengals started out 0-2. And now all of a sudden, here's Joe Burrow, right? 250 yards or more, two or more touchdowns each of the past two games. Beat the Jets last week, like, or beat the Dolphins on Thursday Night Football, the Jets the week before that. Like, the Bengals, Bengals are a good team. This is a divisional matchup. Two teams that have deep playoff aspirations. You've got one of the best young quarterbacks in the league in Joe Burrow. One of the best overall players in the league in Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's got 11 touching, eleven touchdown passes. He's got 316 yards rushing and two rushing touchdowns there. Look, he's throwing 7.6 yards per pass and 8.5 yards per rush. you got you got some dynamic players. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase on one side, Lamar Jackson on another. Now, Bateman, Jackson's favorite receiver, he's going to be out. He's injured. So you lose a big weapon there offensively. I think this game means a lot. I think it's standalone game Sunday night football. I think it's going to be a really good game. The game that intrigues us most is... Most intriguing game of the weekend. It's very interesting. It's not the game you would think. It's Dolphins and Jets. That's right. Dolphins and Jets, usually this would be in like my bar rescue worst game of the week. This is my most intriguing game. couple of different reasons. One, who is the real Zach Wilson? Is Zach Wilson the guy we saw last year who really struggled with poor decision-making and trying to do too much? Or is Zach Wilson the guy we saw in the fourth quarter last week against Pittsburgh? Right, The Jets beat the Steelers last week, and Zach Wilson goes 10 of 12 for 128 yards in the fourth quarter. Can we get that version for all four quarters? I don't know, but I want to see. On Miami's side, they start out 3-0. and They're now 3-1. and Two is out. Teddy Bridgewater is in. The offense is not the same 
with Teddy Bridgewater as it is with Tua. I mean, this is the fifth franchise that Teddy Bridgewater has started a game for. They don't have the same kind of firepower with him. He just he doesn't throw the ball down the field as well. How can Mike McDaniel scheme Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill open? And Tyreek Hill's been on the injury report this week. Can he get them open to help Bridgewater out? Both these teams, right? Jets are Jets have what two wins now? The Jets are two and two also. This is a crowded AFC East. Jets have two wins. Miami's got three wins. So you're trying to keep pace with Buffalo here, and Miami's already beaten Buffalo this year. So an interesting game. Teddy Bridgewater, Zach Wilson, not a game I'd usually go to. By the way, the Jets are 0-12 in their last 12 divisional games. They were swept each of the last two years in AFC East play. Who's the real Zach Wilson? Maybe we start to find it out on Sunday. The Bar Rescue Game of the Week is... Yeah, Bar Rescue Game of the Week. This is code for the worst game of the weekend. Game I'd rather I'd miss so I could watch the Bar Rescue Marathon on Paramount Channel. Uh, this is Bears at Vikings to me. A couple of different reasons. One, the Bears offense is very, very disjointed. Get this. Justin Fields, who is a first-round pick, who I really liked coming out of college, has thrown 67 passes through four games. That's an average of... What, that's about 16 passes per game? That's the fewest by any team since the 1982 Patriots through four games. It has been 40 years since a team has thrown the ball less frequently than the, than the Bears have right now. 67 pass attempts for fields, fewest since in 40 years by a team through four games. I'm not really interested in watching the Bears run the football all around. David Montgomery likely pretty banged up if he plays in this one and the bears are averaging less than 100 yards per game passing we could go out tonight to there's probably 10 vermont high school football games so 20 teams playing probably eight of them will have more than 100 yards passing the bears are averaging 97 and a half yards passing no interest in them and the vikings they're, they're good they've got three wins they're coming back from london usually when you come back from london you get the bye that's not happening this year, right? So it's going to be kind of a, a sleepy, lazy game, I think, for the Vikings. The Vikings might win, but I don't particularly think it's going to look that pretty. They're going to they're going to be sleepy. I'm going to be sleepy watching it. I'm going to avoid it. Bears-Vikings game, NFC North battle, a game I don't want to see. The player we want to watch most this week is... player I want to watch most this week is Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush is generating some buzz, right? Mike Greenberg of ESPN called him a called called him an MVP candidate. Jerry Jones said he saved the Cowboys' season. I just can't say enough about how his play uh, has uh, what it possibly has done for this team this season, and to give us a chance to sit here after these last three ball games and uh, maybe have the opportunity we've got uh, for the rest of the year. It's amazing, and uh, uh, it's far more than I could have expected. Cooper Rush has won three straight games, right? He beat the Bengals, he beat the Giants, he beat the Commanders. Now... He gets the world champion Rams. And I know the Rams were broken a little bit on Monday night against the 49ers, but they're still the world champs. They've still got Aaron Donald. They've still got J Jalen Ramsey. I mean, Cooper Rush is 4-0 in his career as a starter. He's 3-0 this year. We'll see what happens, right? We will see what happens here. But this is a Rams team that's a whole lot better, maybe safe for the Bengals, 
than the teams that Cooper Rush has played against. Be interested in watching him really closely and seeing how good he really is. I'll be honest. I haven't watched a lot of Cooper Rush through his first three starts here. Going to get a chance to on Sunday when they play the Rams, and we'll see what he's really made of. It's commendable that he's 3-0. Trust me, if Bailey Zappi were 3-0 and in three starts, I'd be thrilled. I wouldn't really care how the wins happen. But you're playing the Rams. You're playing a team that just won the Super Bowl with Aaron Donald, maybe the best defensive player of all time, certainly of this current iteration of football. We'll see what Cooper Rush can do. The player with the most pressure this week is... Yeah, for me, this is Kyler Murray. The Cardinals are supposed to be a team that can go deep in the playoffs, right? Cliff Kingsbury now is on the hot seat. Kyler signed that big contract extension after kind of a weird offseason. So the Cardinals are 2-2, two and two, and that's great, right? The Cardinals are 2-2, two and two, and that's great. But now you're playing the Eagles, who are unbeaten, okay? The, the Eagles are unbeaten. So you've got Kyler Murray, former number one pick in the draft, against Jalen Hurts, a guy that nobody really believed in. And now you're going head-to-head. Okay? The whole division in the NFC West is 2-2. Two and two. Cardinals' win would go a long way, especially a win over the Eagles would start to re-up our faith in them. Right now, there's not a whole lot of faith in Cliff Kingsbury. There's not a whole lot of faith, at least by me, in Kyler Murray. Arizona's averaging just 22 points a game. 22 points a game is not a lot in the modern NFL. Now, they don't have DeAndre Hopkins. He's suspended for six games, so maybe it all turns around when he comes back and you just tread water until then. But right now, this is on Kyler Murray. He wanted the big deal. His agent basically said, sign me or trade, sign me big or get rid of me. So he, you know, he stepped up and spoke. Now he's got to step up and lead this team. You're at home. You're taking on a 4-0 Eagles team. It's an Eagles team that everybody is saying now could be the favorite in the NFC. If you can go out and win, this will go a long way towards uh, alleviating concerns we have about the Cardinals. The most amazing NFL stat of the weekend is... Yeah, the most amazing stat of the NFL weekend, that comes really from the Patriots and Lions game. Just the dichotomy and who the Lions are is fascinating. The Lions lead the league in scoring at 35 points a game. They lead the league in yards at 437 yards per game. They're also dead last in scoring defense at 35.3, and they're dead last in yards per game allowed at 444.8. The Lions are 1-3. When you score 35 a game and average 437 yards, those are big 12 numbers. You should be rolling teams, but instead you're 1-3 because you're allowing more points than you score, and the total defense allows eight more yards than it gets. Pretty amazing, right? The Lions, they're like... Five points away from being three and one. Instead, they're one and three, and uh, they come into Foxborough this weekend. It is the Brady Farkas Show. That was our six-pack of NFL questions. We do that every single Friday here at about uh, 605, 610 or so. And then on Monday, we unpack the Patriots and give you our Pats skinny from all angles. Uh, we're going to talk a little baseball, a little Red Sox here in about 10 minutes, but... Uh, Let's uh, let's go here. Let's go to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Well, they have an expensive but totally unimpressive receiving core, and they have at absolute best, at most charitable, the ninth best quarterback in their own conference. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing 
my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. That begins at just $20 a month. Unlimited car washes, $20 a month. If you want one free car wash, well, just text the word Vermont to 30 and then 400. It's ironic that we had this quote because... Last night was a, just a dreadful Thursday night football game, right? Colts beat the Broncos 12-9 in overtime. I did not watch all of it, but I watched a good portion of midway through the second quarter into midway through the third, and then obviously saw all the end-of-game stuff in which the Colts come back and win at 12-9. Well, before that game yesterday, here was Tom Brady talking about what he sees through the early portion of the NFL schedule. I think there's a lot of bad football from what I watch. You know, <laughs> I watch a lot of bad football, a lot of... Yeah, poor quality of football. That's what I see. I mean, I think Tom is right. Last night was the epitome of it. I do think it will turn around, right? First quarter of the season, I think, is always disjointed and always sloppy. I do think it will turn it around, but Tom Brady is right. Football in the early going largely has been sloppy, and I think there's a bunch of reasons for this, right? Like, I think I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out why the early portion of the NFL schedule is so kind of tough to watch. The preseason has been shortened, and it's also been made completely meaningless, right? So guys are coming into the early season without really having done anything. So they're just getting their feet wet by this point of the season. By week eight, by week nine, You'll see guys that are in full football shape in terms of how they're playing and what they're seeing and all that. But guys sit out all of the preseason, and they come in with no game reps, with no game experience. Of course, it's going to take them a little bit to get going, right? Preseason's been shrunk. It's been rendered meaningless. So guys don't get full work in. The joint practices that teams have are good, but teams don't install everything. Teams don't show everything. They don't want to give away the farm. So, yeah, guys do get some reps at pretty good speed, but they're not doing everything they'd be doing in a game. So, once again, it's like if, if a baseball pitcher went out in spring training and only threw fastballs. Well, that's good, right? The arm's in shape. The fastball feels good. But what about the feel on the secondary pitches? How's my curveball? How's my slider? How's my changeup? How, no, I'm, it's not there yet, right? I'm leaving it up. I'm bouncing it. I'm throwing it with too too much velocity, too little velocity. It's sweeping too much. It's 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 backing up on me. All of those things. You just don't have the feel for everything that you're doing. Training camp has changed. That's part of it also, right? Training camp is not as rigorous. The off-season program is not as rigorous. So especially like on the offensive line, guys are not getting as much work as they used to get. So they're taking some time to get in here. We've seen some bad coaching. We've seen some injuries in which teams are kind of decimated already. And then defense isn't as good because the rules are so catered to the offense, right? It's hard to play defense in the NFL. Guys don't want to do certain things. They don't want to take risks because of flags. They don't want to get, you know, illegal contact as a point of focus for the competition committee this year. I just think there's a lot of reasons. Tom Brady's right. Football, early portion of the season isn't as great. It will get better. Teams will figure it out. At least most of the teams will. But right now, all that contributes to it. Poor coaching, a lot of injuries. The 
changed off-season program. Preseason doesn't matter. Don't show everything in joint practices. And you know what? We're all still watching. This is what the NFL wants. Like I look at the play, I look at the standings right now. NFC East, three teams over 500. NFC West, every team 500. NFC North, three teams 500 or above. NFC South, two teams two and two. The two teams behind them are both one and three, but they're only a game back. Three teams at 500 or above in the AFC East. I mean, everything is wide open. Like, there's so much parity. The AFC North has three teams at two and two. The AFC South has three teams with two wins. Like, this is what the league wants. The league wants everybody jumbled together. This is what makes the league happy. Yeah, the quality hasn't been great, but every fan base, for the most part, is interested. We're a month into the season, and no one feels like their season is completely over, save for maybe the Texans. Maybe the Texans, who are 0-3-1. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox closing press conference was yesterday. We've got some sound from that, and we'll check in with Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. 585-3026. Now it's back with Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story. How appropriate we put a bow in the Red Sox season. A little dirty water here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Reminder, our show is brought to you by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They're online at ProDriverCDL.com. You can also always get our full show podcast and all of our interviews available at Apple Podcasts. And on Spotify, Red Sox season ended on Wednesday. Sox beat the Rays. They ended the year at 78 and 84. Yesterday was the postseason wrap-up press conference, and Ian Bloom was talking about the organization's plan with Xander Bogarts. Our our position hasn't changed on that. I know, you know, I've said this before. Nothing I say really matters uh, unless there's a deal. Um, but our position's been the same that we want to we want to keep him here for a long time. We want him here on a deal that you know we're going to look back on and say this is great for everybody. Um, you know, we see what happens. We just we just uh, got got to the end of one of those with JD, and I think everybody uh, you know can feel that that one worked out for everybody involved and. We want to build around him and win with him. So that's interesting for a few reasons, right? One, he says they want to build around Bogarts and they want to win with him. That certainly is notable. But he also says we want to have a deal where we look back at it and realize it was great for both sides. That leads me to believe that High and Bloom and the Red Sox don't want to overpay Bogarts. There are a lot of you out there saying, just open up the wallets, pay Bogarts, whatever he wants. A lot of you are saying that, and I get it from a fan's perspective. Hey, it's not my money. Who cares? Xander wants X, Y, or Z. Give it to him, baby. I don't think High and Bloom wants to do that. I think he wants Xander Bogarts back. I believe that. I think he's going to come at Xander Bogarts with a real offer. But based on what he just said, I don't believe that offer is going to include a blank check. It's just not. He said specifically, we want to look back like with J.D. Martinez and say this deal worked out well for both sides. So he doesn't want to give Xander Bogarts eight years because he knows that that won't look good for him in the end. I don't think he wants to give Xander Bogarts $220 million because that's not going to look good for them in the end. Now, I think he's smart enough now to realize that, you know, 
one year, 28 million is not going to do it either. So I, he's got to find that middle ground, but he's not going to get taken advantage of. That is what that quote showed me. He's not going to get taken advantage of. He's not going to let the fans or Scott Boris or anyone railroad him into just giving Bogarts what he wants. I have maintained from the beginning. I believe that five years, $150 million remains an appropriate offer. Okay, I believe that that remains an appropriate offer. He's currently got, like, this works in all ways, right? Bogarts currently has three years and $60 million left on his deal, right? When he opts out, he'll be a free agent. So three years and $60 million. 150 is more than 60. Five years is more than three years. And three for 60 is $20 million a year. Five for 150 is $30 million a year. So it's a substantial raise. $30 million a year. Like, look. It's five years. It takes him until he's 35 years old. Gives him one more chance at a good contract in his career. $150 million is more than Trevor Story got. So it shows Bogarts the requisite respect that a long-tenured homegrown player should get. $30 million a year is more annually than Trevor Story got also. I remain committed to thinking that is the best deal here. The question is, does Ian Bloom think that that is an overpay? I don't. It, it accomplishes everything. Five years is not going to hamper the organization, right? We're all worried about long-term deals for guys in their 30s. This is not an eight-year deal. This is not Robinson Cano getting 10 years at 30 years old. This is not that. So the years are right. The annual value, to me, $30 million a year for a very good offensive player, for a team pillar, that's right too. It's also more than story got annually and more than story got total. So I, I, I think this is a good size. For, I think this is a good deal for everybody. And Bloom says, like, that's what I need. I need it to be a good deal for everybody. Lou Merloni, WEEI in Boston, Red Sox insider, former Sox infielder. He says Bogarts is his top priority, not Devers. Like, to me, I signed Xander Bogarts. Trust and, us. And I don't, tr- I don't extend Devers. I said on TV, people went nuts the other day on Monday night, but I would not. I would just play the thing out. You know, if you re-sign Bogarts, now Xander looks at Rafi and says, listen, I know they messed with me. They messed with you. They gave us these crappy offers and extension deal. But, you know, when push came to shove, they gave me what I wanted. And now I'm back here. They're still the Boston Red Sox. They paid me to come back here. So you go do your business, and they'll offer you one. Lou is catching a lot of grief for that. I actually agree with him. I think that Lou Maloney is right. Devers is more important than Bogart's long-term, right? He's younger, and he's better at this point. That's true. I believe, that, I believe that Devers is the key. If they only had to have one, Devers would be the guy for me. But I think that Lou Maloney is right. At this point, the odds of you extending Devers right now are not very good. Like, Devers is one year away from free agency. Devers had a good year, not a phenomenal year, right? He didn't have 35 and 100. He didn't win a batting title. Things he's capable of. So I don't think at this point Devers wants a deal right now because it would be a deal that's not as rich as what he thinks he could get. Like he, like next year, I think Devers' camp is saying, go out and do what Aaron Judge did. Not hit 62, but go out and have a great contract year. And then get your money. Right now, Devers would be getting a deal that's a discount. So the odds of you getting him locked up long-term, I do not think are particularly good right now. He wants to go do what Judge did, prove that it, prove how good he is, and then get all the suitors to come calling. So 
I, I don't think you're getting Devers right now. If he went for 40 and 120 this year, his camp might say, you know what? His value will never be higher than now. But his camp looks at it and says, you know what? He can do better than this year. And he can do it in a prove-it walk year. And that's where we're going to go. So I think Lou's right. You're not getting Devers right now. Bogarts, who can get, he wants to be there. And if he's got Devers alongside him all next year, Bogarts can go to him, like Lou says, and say, you know what? It was weird what they did, but at the end of the day, they stepped up. And I don't think it will affect Devers like it affected Bogarts. I think Bogarts is more sensitive, more um, cognizant of of this stuff, you know, how he's perceived. I think it I think this stuff really rankled Bogarts. I don't see it rankling Devers. So I, I, I agree with uh I agree with uh with Lou Maloney there. And finally, Hyam Bloom was talking about Chris Sale moving forward. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, you talk about this, the, the situations that he's been in, the things that have happened. Uh, there's no reason looking at next year that he shouldn't be able to be a huge part of this. Um, but obviously, um, you could probably go back and find instances of me saying exactly that in a lot of different ways over the last few years. Um, and, you know, we know that uh, when somebody hasn't carried a workload in a while, it, uh, you know, it it means certain things for how you should plan. This is the right attitude to take. The Red Sox are finally handling things correctly with sale. I am Bloom said it perfectly. Basically, he is nothing more than a wild card at this point. Okay? He is nothing more than a wild card. If he ends up healthy and throws 175 innings and is great, then so be it. You know what's a good problem to have? Too much pitching. You can never have enough. Look at all the guys the Red Sox lost this year. Right, Walker was on the IL. Sale was on the IL. They lost Hill at some point on the IL. They lost Evaldi on the IL. They, I mean, you know, and, and Cutter Crawford was out. Like so, they Bayo went on the IL. You can never have too much pitching. So Chris Sale being treated as nothing more than an add-on is the right thing for me. You've got Bayo. You've got Pavetta. You've got Sale. That's three pitchers. You're going to need three or four more. You're not getting by with this with just five and Sale being one of them. So, Bayo, Pavetta, Sale, they're in at the start of the year. Am I bringing back James Paxton? Is he fitting in? Am I bringing back Waka? Am I bringing back Hill at some point? Am I signing Rodon like I want? Am I signing Chris Bassett? Am I signing Sean Manaya? Am I trading for somebody in the offseason? I'd explore all of that. Chris Sale, yes, he's lightly penciled into my rotation. He's nobody that you can count on. He is nobody that you can count on, and the Red Sox finally have it right in recognizing that. So, good. Hope for the best with Chris Sale. Plan around him. It's the right way to do it. Earlier today, I spoke with Buster Olney of ESPN. We spoke for about 15 minutes. The full interview is already up on our podcast channel. I give you about the best five of it here pertaining to the Red Sox. So, I'm just going to start it with my first question earlier today with our ESPN MLB insider, Buster Olney. You know, as we think about the Red Sox offseason, it's ironic because 
I think this Red Sox team was likable, despite not being very good. They had a lot of likable guys. And I, I hear the same refrain everywhere. Eric Hosmer, yeah, I, I, I could bring him back. And Michael Waka, I could bring him back. And Rich Hill, yeah, I, I could deal with him on the team. And Christian Arroyo and all that. I'm like, look, all these guys are good guys. But if this team wants to be a lot better next year, they can't have a team full of Rich Hills or a team full of Christian Arroyos. They're going to need to go out and make some big splashes. Do you see them doing that? I don't. Um, you know, I heard yesterday from Hein Bloom, you know, hey, we're, we're going to make every effort to, you know, to sign Xander Bogart. So we're going to step out. We're going to have conversations. Um, you know, but when I heard that, uh, there were, I had a number of reactions. One, um, you know, that's great that they're trying to sign him now. Why didn't they do that in the spring? Yeah. Like, why would they just give him a one-year offer? That makes no sense to me. Why would Xander Bogart, uh, who's this close to being able to be out in the open market, um, why would he not look at that opportunity now? Why wouldn't they have considered the impact of how the, the Bogarts negotiations played out on the team in terms of the team chemistry and how players are feeling about things uh, before they took this path? It makes no sense, which made me wonder if yesterday, you know, the whole, you know saying that uh, they're going to do everything they can to sign Bogarts, which is lip service. Because if they had assessed all of those other questions back in March, they would have been a lot more aggressive in trying to re-sign him. So they either, one way or the other, they either made a terrible mistake in how they, they handled this negotiation at the outset, which is what I believe to be the truth, or they're blowing it now. Uh, and I, it makes no sense to me, um, you know, how they've handled this thing. And I, I, it is a puzzler for me, and it's an indication that I, I just, you know, until they actually put pen to paper and sign a big check to somebody, I'm not going to buy it. You know, the other thing that's interesting is that I think all fans want the Red Sox to bring back Bogarts and all fans want the team to lock up Devers. And those would be two great things. But those two guys were here and this team just finished in last place. Like, even if they bring those back, they have to go out and do a whole lot more. Obviously, we have a whole offseason ahead of us. But is there anything right off the bat you think, OK, that makes sense for the Red Sox in addition well, you know, the pursuit of someone like Chris Bassett, uh, who's had a terrific season for the Mets, and, you know, he they needs rotation help. That, to me, has got to be the focus. Um, you know, but I, it's hard to know exactly how they're going to handle things because I think that, you know, of all the, the misdirections, the, the missed opportunities they've had to this point, like Heim Bloom, you know, told reporters yesterday, uh, look, you know, uh, we're never going to be in the same position we were with Mookie Betts and we're not going to go down that path again where, you know, we don't lock up a, a generational talent. And I'm paraphrasing. It's not literally what he said, but as I read the words, I'm like, well, what have you been doing with Raphael Devers the last couple of years? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, Raphael Devers the last couple of years has been the same position Mookie was in year two, year three, year four of his career. I've been here. What, where's, where's the, you know, where's the love? Where's the beef? Where's the money? I, it, it's, um, I, it's, it's been a surprise. It's been a head scratcher with how they're handling things. I thought the other thing that was interesting yesterday, which was appropriate, but it was a deviation, is that basically Hyam Bloom said, we think Chris Sale can be a big part of this, but we're now no longer counting on that. I thought that was yeah. an important realization. Yep, and I that's a, a reality check, and it's the right way for them to look at that. Um, you know, Chris is, I mean, no one can doubt his passion for pitching, but the fact is he's now in his mid-30s, you know, usually when uh, teams sign these guys, these massive deals, internally the way they look at it is, 
we expect high production at the beginning of the deal, some begin uh, some regression in the middle of the deal at the back end. It's kind of a wash. You're really paying for the you know for the excellence of the front of the deal. Well, he now is in the middle to back end of the deal, and that's the reality. And if he jumps up and surprises everybody and and you know contends for the Cy Young Award next year, boy, that that, that would be great news for the Red Sox. But I think it's part behind. Uh, you know, to not count on that as they as they do their planning for 2023. And I like the fact that they're at least talking about contending and competing and trying to win um, because that certainly was not the indication we got at the trade deadline with the choices that they made. That was part of my talk with Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider. Again, that full interview is available on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel and Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We also talked about the playoffs. We talked about uh, Sarah Langs, I can't remember if I told you this yesterday, but uh, Sarah Langs was someone who we've had on this show multiple times, right? I, I may have said this yesterday. Forgive me if I did, but Sarah Langs is is somebody we had on this show multiple times, right? We had her on in spring training of 2021 and pre or and uh, spring training of 2022. She works for MLB.com, and and we had her on to talk a lot about the Red Sox and the AL East as a whole. She came out yesterday and with an announcement that she has ALS and I mean, that's just heartbreaking because it's a terrible disease. Sarah Langs is a woman. I'm, I guess that that is a rarity for women to get statistically to get ALS. She also is in her late twenties, which is insanely young to get ALS. Buster and her are very tight. She used to work at ESPN. She worked has been a huge part of Buster's podcast, the baseball tonight podcast. So we talked about the playoffs. We talked about the Red Sox. We talked about Sarah Langs. Um, Buster had her on his podcast today. That interview is out there. I'm going to have to listen to it, but uh, that is a, that was really tough news because she is a great baseball mind and uh, was great on this show she's great on social media has a huge passion for the game so we certainly wish her the best and uh, buster uh, certainly did that as well so i thought buster was right by the way on the bogart stuff when he said they've made a mistake somewhere i agree they made a mistake at the beginning of the year i think that one of two things happened either the red sox really tried to just take advantage of his desire to be here, right? So they offered him another year and $30 million to get him to four years and 90 So they lowballed him based on the fact that they just assumed, hey, he wants to be here, he'll take anything. Wrong way to look at it when Scott Boris is your agent. Wrong way to insult a franchise icon. Or they just underestimated how attached the fans are to Sandra Bogarts. I don't think they expected the fan backlash. I think they expect, expected fan support, you know, and, hey, and how the team was being run. They were wrong in that. So I do believe the Red Sox made a grave mistake at the beginning of the year in how they handled Sander Bogarts. But, again, full interview with Buster available on our podcast channel. A couple minutes left, and, uh, and then we've got uh, Jazz with George Thomas. Patriots-Lions predictions, I am going to go against the curve here. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going with the Patriots. I just think, and I said this in week three and was burned, I think we're going to get a Bill Belichick special. Bill Belichick has to be a difference maker for this team at some point, right? They don't have enough talent to just line up and beat you every single week. 
They do have the greatest football mind in history. At some point, that's got to matter. This is the week I I hope and think that it matters. I've got the Patriots winning 24-23. I just think that Bill Belichick defensively can do something to alter Jared Goff, right? Will there be a big sack in which he fumbles? Will there be, will there be a, a pass rush in which he throws an ill-advised pass and you're able to take advantage of it? This Lions offense is really good, and Jared Goff has been really good in it this year. But I got to think that there's a Bill Belichick coaching special that's going to come our way on Sunday that he's going to be able to exploit Jared Goff somehow. And he's going to be able to take care of and protect Bailey Zappi somehow. So I'm going Patriots 24, Lions 23. This is a must-win game for the Patriots in terms of saving your season. If you do not win this game, your season is over. One and four, you're cooked. One and four, you're cooked. Even with the softer schedule coming back and maybe Mac coming back, you're cooked. This is a must-win game. And I think the Patriots' urgency will reflect that. They're in the Pat Patriot red uniforms. They got the great white helmets. They can't lose on Pat Patriot Day. We'll have our coverage Sunday morning, 10 a.m., kickoff 1 p.m., Pats 24, Lions 23. Go download the podcast. Have a great weekend. I'm finally getting to the Mariners game. Go M.